Welcome to the Pulp Nostalgia Audio Cast. This week, we have part two of Mahatma of Mayhem by Robert Leslie Bellum. Bellum is best known, of course, for his creation of Dan Turner, Hollywood detective, whose exploits explored the seamy underbelly of Tinseltown. Bellum is said to have written 3,000 short stories during his 30-year career, and most of these appeared in the culture publications line of spicy books, such as Spicy Detective and Spicy Mystery. But he also wrote for several other magazines. Among Bellum's other creations were P.I. Nick Ransom, who appeared about a dozen stories, including this piece from the April 1948 issue of Thrilling Detective. This story is included in our recent release from Brick Pickle Media, Thrilling Detective Pulp Tales Volume 4, now available in print and ebook format. It features some of the best pulp stories from the pages of Thrilling Detective. It, along with the earlier volumes, can be ordered from Amazon or any other bookstore. You can get a discounted price by ordering direct from our website. That link is in the show notes. This podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production, copyright 2020. For more from Brick Pickle Media, visit www.pulpaudiocast.com. If you'd like to support our efforts, you can find a link to all of our books and our entire online store on the website. And with that, on with the show. Chapter 4. Indignant Husband You can't help liking a fellow who realizes his own limitations, particularly when he accepts it gracefully. As soon as I crossed his threshold, Pete Hollister affably offered me a nip of Vat 69, which happens to be my favorite beverage. I took a rain check, however, because I had more important things on my mind. I'm looking for Lola, I told him. She's not here. This is important. Don't lie to me, Pete. Trot her forth. He studied me. Hold on, Sherlock. You're not acting like an old friend who sent us a wedding present. You're talking like a detective on the prowl. What's the idea? I just told you I want Lola. And I just told you she's not at home. Maybe like to frisk the premises. Thanks. I pretended not to realize he was being sarcastic and took a brisk stroll through the various rooms and even inspected the rear grounds, the garage, and the patio. It was refreshing to see a movie star's home that wasn't dripping with opulence. Ordinarily, when an actress breaks into the upper bracket of Hollywood's financial nobility, she surrounds herself with Liberty Lackeys, a mansion the size of Grauman's Chinese Theater and three or four rooms mixed with mink wallpaper. Below Libman both had both dainty tootsies on the ground, and she believed the gossip along the Sunset Strip, she was a mighty close cookie with a buck. It probably hurt her all the way to her insteps to have extension phones put in the bedrooms. According to rumors, she held onto her money the way iron finally slinged to a magnet. She was one star, wouldn't wind up rocking away her old age on the front porch of the old Motion Picture Academy home for the indigent. Also, she was a star as unable to locate anywhere around her undistinguished shanty. Sorry, Pete, I apologized to young Hollister after I strolled around the swimming pool and even peered down to the water. Wasn't that I disbelieve you, but I had to make sure. So, alright, so you made sure. Yeah, where is she? None of your business to tell me what it's all about. I don't like mystification. I'm beginning not to like private detectives, especially a private detective named Nick Ransom, see? Lots of folks don't like me. Look, Pete, is your marriage to Lola on the up and up? I don't understand what you're driving at. Did she have another husband ahead of you, once you neglected divorce? Now you're being fantastic, Flatfoot. I'm in a fantastic racket. Answer my question. Did Lola ever mention being hooked up with a fortune teller, calling himself Mahatma Guru? Hollister's jaw jutted, and his kiss became an ugly, thin red slit. Who is Mahatma Guru? A dead guy. A dead guy used his last breath and named Lola as his killer. That was when Hollister swung on me. Don't you dare call my wife a murderess! 
He yelped and came at me. I eluded the poke and jammed him to the patio wall. Quit acting like a sap, I said sternly as I kept his long, meaty fingers from wrapping themselves around my windpipe. In the first place, I'm not here to make a pinch. I just want to see Lola before the cops get to her. I've got to hear her side of the story, if she has a story. Besides, they didn't call Lola a murderess. The Mahatma said it. You're a liar! Maybe the Mahatma was, but I'm not. I heard him with my own little pink ears. Then you'll never repeat his testimony. I'll see to that. Be yourself, Pete. I'm not the only one that heard it. There was another witness, a stooge named Reginald Percival Clancy, believe it or not. Left him to guard the corpse until the law arrived, but now he's told him the whole thing with gestures. In fact, the cops are probably on their way here right now. He stopped struggling to fix a frightened gaze on me. You mean they'll arrest Lola? Maybe convict her? There's very little maybe about it, Junior. But, but, no, I can't let that happen, Ransom. I've got to do something. You've got to help me. Sweat stood out on his forehead. Don't blow a gasket, I said. That won't help. But, Nick, what are we going to do? That we stuff sounds sort of foolish, and we don't even tell me where to find her. Listen, if I tell you, if I take you to her, will you promise not to take her to jail or turn her over to the cops? Will you give her a chance? You're asking a lie. You're asking me to betray my oath and jeopardize my license. What's in it for me? What do you mean, what's in it for you? You're my friend and Lola's, aren't you? I lifted a lip. Forget that. I'm in this business for the dough. I'm saving up retirement funds so I can quit before some wise disciple and graze my vital statistic with a bullet. I rubbed the ball of my thumb across my fingertips. You know that folding stuff they put in banks? You heel. Okay, if that's how it's got to be, how much? You're doing the buying, make an offer. Fifty dollars. Don't be parsimonious. All right, then, a hundred. It's all I've got available. Every last dime. I've been known to accept checks. Our account's on Lola's name. She'd have to make it out and sign it. Which she'll do. I know she will. She's got it to burn. She'll pay you any price you ask. Any amount you name. If you get her out of this murder mess. Better slip me that century you mentioned, I said. Advanced retainer, you know. Cash in the line before we start. He was in no position to argue. He got out his wallet, dredged up a thin sheaf of crisp green lettuce, mostly fives, tens, and singles. Bloodsucker, he called me bitterly. I let him have that one. He was entitled to it. And remember, I guarantee nothing. If Lowell's guilty, it's just too bad. But if she convinces me that Hotma lied about her, I'll do everything possible. I tried to make his ambiguity sound sincere, but I had my mental fingers crossed. Hollister swallowed the routine. I know I can count on you now that you've had your pound of flesh. You're a chiseling creep, but your top's in your line. And if Lola killed that bearded skunk, I'll stand by her. I'll stick to her no matter what happens. Let's go to her. We went out to my jalopy. Where, I said. Paratone, they're shooting some night retakes on our new picture. For heaven's sake, hurry. I didn't need him to tell me to hurry. Just as I swung out of his private driveway, another car came rocketing toward us, barreling into the royal with its red spotlight cutting a gash in the velvet night and the siren shrieking banshee soprano of the echoing hills. Company coming, I said. Unless I miss my guess, a mile and two-fifths, that will be Ole Brunvig and his homicide heroes. We were blocked. The Royal Road was a narrow black top ribbon, barely wide enough to let two cars pass each other if they crawled in second gear. The way that prowl buggy was whamming toward us in the road's very center, there wasn't a chance in the world for us to squeeze by. Not unless we took off and flew. Hollister moaned. We're sunk. They'll nab us and run us downtown and leave men to wait here for Lola when she comes home and they'll arrest her. Quiet, I growled. Hang on to your bridge work, bub. You pay me a century and you're about to get value received. 
I then put my lever in low, yanked the wheel around, gunned hard on the gas, and went straight up the side of the mountain. Chapter 5. Frightened Star My rear treads clawed at rocks and gravel and sagebrush, took a deep bite of traction. My front wheels bounced like dice, and the bottom of a cement mixer tried to twist the tiller out of my desperate fists. I hung on, torturing the machinery until it squealed for mercy, and we kept going up. Far below, that cop's sedan roared by with the exhaust spitting sparks. Presently, you could hear its brakes screeching as it skidded to a stop on Pete Haas's driveway. Then I bent my course downward again. For an instant, my coupe teetered and almost went over on its side, tugged by gravity's invisible ropes. I fought the wheel and got past the danger point, headed for the highway. We rocked and jounced like an idiot on a pogo stick, or a mountain goat leaping across a drainage gully and finally got some paving under us again. Heading buckety blip for the Laurel Canyon Highway, I remarked. Blame good thing I took postgraduate work in movie stunt driving, eh? Now before our headquarters friends get turned around to trails, we'll be long gone. The Hollister ham mopped at his mush with a limp handkerchief and looked like a man who had just seen his guardian angel molt a quart of tail feathers. Shaken, he huddled beside me in a speechless condition, which suited me fine. Wasn't feeling very conversational anyhow. I settled deeper in the seat and aimed for the peritone lot out in the valley near Warner Brothers. At the main gate, Hollister waved his employees past an imitation cop on guard duty nodded us through. Parking the coupe way out back near the big open-air scene dock, I hopped out. Come on, Pete, let's not waste time. Where's Lola working? Stage 10, she told me. He spurted ahead of me, his long, ungainly legs working like scissors as he hurried by the scene dock. And down a long, meagerly lighted studio street, I pelted in pursuit. Past a row of gigantic soundstage buildings with roofs like magnified quantsite huts. Dug in my heels where Hollister had halted before an oversized sliding steel door that had a black numeral 10 painted on it. The door was closed, and in a square box with a frosted glass window, a red light glowed. Even as I looked, the red light winked off, and a green bulb lighted up. When the red was on, it meant a scene was being shot inside. You didn't dare open the door for fear of spoiling a take. But as soon as the green showed, I knew the cameras had stopped rolling. I shouldered Hollister aside, applied my heft to the portal, slid it open along its overhead track. Inside, on the lighted drawing room set, I buttonholed a cameraman. Hey, pals, little Dulac on deck? Nope. Starting the... Next scene for her. She was here when we started shooting after supper, but she got a phone call and had to scram for a while. Waiting for her to come back now. He took a look at his strap watch. Maybe she's in a dressing bungalow getting ready. Tried there? I will, I said, and turned to Hollister. Show me the way. He nodded and again went ahead of me. We circled the writer's building and the studio commissary, both of them now dark and deserted, and presently came to a double row of miniature cottages, not much bigger than automobile trailers, but all fancied up with pastel paint, vine-colored trellises, and a half-pint porches. Each bungalow was just about large enough to accommodate a single dressing room and a shower, and lights gleamed in the one at the south end of the string. That's hers, Hollister said and went into a sprint. I kept pace and we reached the tiny building at a dead heat. By stretching, I got the door knob before he could seize it. I started to give it a twist. He grabbed my arm. Just a minute, maybe she's undressed. I'll go first, if you please. At a time like this, you worry about modesty? I snapped. Be your age. I've seen unclad cuties before, and I rarely cast glances at other men's wives, especially if there's killing involved. I wasn't taking any chance. He might go in and spirit Lola Dulac out of back door before I could talk to her. Let go of me. He let go, and I put my weight to the woodwork. It gave, and before he could wrestle third piano chinchero, I inserted myself into the dressing bungalow. Lola Dulac was there, sure enough, and she wasn't undraped, but her emotions were. She was as pallid as milk. Her lips were quivering out of control, and there was fright in her eyes, stark, undiluted fear. Her small form was dressed in a low-cut evening gown of white satin that had probably cost Peritone several hundred dollars, and the way it set off her curves made it worth every dollar. I had no time for art appreciation. I was too busy wondering what had shocked her into the obvious panic she was showing. Hi, Lola. Pardon the haste, but I've got some questions that need answering. I'll ask them, Pete Hollister said from behind me. 
Hold up, my darling. Did you shoot a fortune teller named Mahatma Guru tonight as he set his horoscope table? She walled up her eyes and pitched forward in a swoon. I caught her as she dropped. Her knees buckled and she collapsed in my clutch, whereupon I carried her tiny divan, stretched her on it. Water, Pete, quick! Hollister barged to the miniature bathroom, came back with a dripping towel and squished it on his wife's colorless face. Gasping, she snapped out of her faint. What? 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 Where? Better stay conscious, kitten. I advised her. There's not much time left. Then I gave her the story, fast and complete. I told her how I'd taken, been taken to the Mahatma's house, how he'd accused her of plugging him and then died. I ended with, he claimed you were his wife. She drew a ragged breath. God help me. I was. I was his wife. Hollister's optics stood out like oysters on stalks. Lola, you don't mean that. It was back east. Years ago. He didn't call himself Mahatma Guru in those days. He was billed as Wizardo. He had a magic act and did fake mind reading. I was his assistant in the audience. We worked coast. Later, I manned him. I said, and divorced him subsequently, of course. And no, he got into the fake spiritualism racket and bilked a number of people. Police caught up with him and he was sent to prison. He escaped a few months after that and then I, I got word he'd been killed in an automobile accident. I came out here to Hollywood thinking I was a widow. Thinking I was free. I got a chance in pictures and made good and... Tears coursed down her wan cheeks as she turned an appealing glance to Hollister. I met you, Pete, and we found love and got married. And I thought I finally found happiness. Then just a few nights ago, he phoned me at home. He wasn't dead. He was alive. But not for long, I remarked. What did he want? He knew I'd remarried. He threatened to expose me as a bigamist unless, unless they did what he wanted. The blackmail bite, huh? Not, not exactly. At first he demanded money and I flatly refused. Then he said he would make a compromise. If I would send him a lot of clients, steer famous stars to him, he would leave me alone. So many movie people patronize astrologers and fortune tellers, you know. And Wizardo, uh, Mahatma Guru now, said he could clean up if he had some big names on his clientele list. He gave me four days to make up mine and said if I didn't follow orders, he'd expose me and wreck my screen career. I thought that over, keeping my eyes on her. Finally, I said, Quite a creep, the Mahatma. So then what? I came here to the studio this evening for some retakes. He phoned me. Himself, personally? No. It was a man who called himself Clancy and said he worked for Mahatma. Clancy told me Guru wanted to see me at once. Not at his home, but on the corner of Gower and Sunset, across the street from the Columbia Broadcasting Building. I, I, I went there. I waited and waited. He didn't show up? I prompted her. No. So then I drove by his house, and there were police cars all around. I heard somebody say a fortune teller had been murdered, and they were looking for an actress who had killed him. And somebody else mentioned my name, I was, I was petrified. You drove straight back here to Peritone? Yes, next you and Pete came in. Of course, you realize your alibi leaks like a sieve. You say you're at the corner of Sunset and Gower. Any witnesses to bade you up? No, none. But I didn't kill him, I didn't. Hollister took her hands in his. You mustn't lie to us, Lola. If you're guilty, I'll stand by you. Ransom here will do all he can. I've already retained him for cash. I'm not lying. I didn't kill him. I swear I didn't. If he accused me, it was because he was vindictive. He was getting even with me because I'd remarried, because I was a movie star, and he was jealous, envious. It's got to be that way. It has to be. Somebody else shot him, and he knew he was dying. He wanted to get me in trouble. As if on cue, her phone rang just when she said that last word. Trouble. I uncradled the instrument. Yeah? A male voice rumbled on the wire. I listened, then hung up in a hurry and faced them. 
That was the main gate. Front figure of homicide is on the line and coming here with Clancy. Chapter 6. Another Killing I couldn't have created more consternation if I'd announced the delegation of boa constrictors. Pete Hollister and his lovely but woebegone wife gulped with dismay. Then she moaned and asked what she was going to do, and she, he said he didn't know, but he would stick by her no matter what happened. It was all very touching. It didn't solve any problems, though, and I wasn't quite ready to throw the brunette movie star into the arms of the law. Not until I could do a little check-in on Reginald Percival Clancy. When I threw my thinking machine to high gear, I realized Clancy was the key to a lot of riddles. Reviewing matters at a rapid velocity, I came to a hair-trigger conclusion and acted on it. I jumped to the wall switch, cut off the dressing bungalow's lights. Outside! I yapped, grabbing Lola, I propelled her through the doorway. Make this fast, Pat. Know where the scene dock is? It, yes, on the back lot. My coop's parked there. Scram in that direction. You can sit in the car if it seems safe. If you hear anybody coming, hide. Sneak in the scene dock and squeeze yourself beneath the property staircase or something. Go on now. Blow. She blew. Tollister, I said. You take the other way around and stand sentry duty so you can warn her in case of trouble. Savvy? Right, he said and hurried out. I waited just long enough to scratch a match and light a cigarette. Then I loped toward the main gate and kept an eye peeled for callers. Sure enough, callers showed up in the form of Oli Brunvig and Reginald Clancy. Brunvig, beefy and looking dyspeptic, spied me and emitted a snort of rage. So here you are, are you? This Clancy character tells me you knew right along with little Dulac who bumped the Mahatma. But you deliberately clammed up on me. I forgot, I said meekly. I had a lapse of memory. Oli's neck swelled around the top of his collar and his complexion turned into a shade in the glow of a studio street lamp. Lapse of memory, hey? You'll have a lapse of license, big odd. I suppose you'll try to tell me it wasn't your coop flying up the side of that mountain when I drove the Dulac girl's house. What you're going to say you didn't come here ahead of me so you could keep her from getting arrested. Stop supplying me with dialogue, I said. I'll furnish my own. It wouldn't be anything like what you're screeching. It's a matter of cold fact. My cold fact was drowned by a gunshot from somewhere close by in the surrounding shadows of Roscoe roared. Ka-chow! In spiteful accents. Hard on the heels of this flat barking report, Reginald Percival Clancy dropped with a hole in the head. The bullet drilled a hole through his noggin and he was dead before he hit the ground. He bounced once in him. Macabre shudder twitched him. Then he lay still. The unseen cannon spoke again. A tongue of orange-yellow fire flicked toward me. Ribbon-like and I felt a slight plucking at my right shoulder followed by a quick stinging burn as the bee had used me for a pincushion. I let out a yelp and dropped behind Clancy's motionless form. Brunfig stood there with his mouth hanging open and a look of blank stupefaction on his face. Suddenly, he clawed for his service thirty-eight in his back pants pocket and the gun stuck there. He began racing around in concentric circles, yelling in rage. At last, he gave a mighty tug and the rod came loose with a tearing noise, pocket and all. He stared at the cloth hanging to the gad and called tearfully upon heaven to witness that he had just ruined a brand new thirty-dollar suit, adding that it wasn't even paid for. Charge to the city, I snarled. Duck before you're a clay pigeon. Started rolling frantically in the direction of a property rain barrel that somebody had left out in the open seeking his dubious protection before the next shot could nail me to the earth. There was no next shot, and abrupt silence descended so thick you cut it like Limburger cheese, then footfalls sounded in the distance. I leaped upright, fastened the clutch on Brunvig's arm. Come on, Oli, that was one homicide I didn't count on. It's time for the payoff. Client or no client, we're going after Lola Dulac. I started to run toward the back lot. Brunvig followed along my wake. I get it now. She killed Clancy and tried to kill you, so neither you could testify. You heard Mahatma Guru's dying accusation, naming her as a murderer. Another voice chimed in from the darkness as the bulky shape detached itself from the vicinity of my coop and dashed toward us. Good grief! You mean Lola sneaked away from here and committed another killing? It was Pete Hollis joining us. That was what those shots were I just heard? She murdered Clancy? No, I said, and whisked out my pencil flashlight, drenched him in his narrow beam of brightness. No, Lola didn't shoot the Clancy, Ginzo. You did. Then to Brunvig. Better put the cuffs on him, Oli. He's the guilty man. 
Guilty? Me? Yeah, you. Guilty double murder because you're the guy who shot the Mahatma too. He flinched as if I slapped him across the face. You're out of your senses, Ransom. That's crazy talk. Clues are never crazy when there's evidence to back them, and I found plenty of both. To start with, the Mahatma, who apparently croaked for my eyes, had long-fingered hairy hands. But when I got back to phoning headquarters from a pay station, the corpse had short, stubby fingers. Then I touched an arm. It resisted me. Rigor mortis. But that's too soon for rigor mortis to set in. Which meant a switch had been pulled while I was out phoning. The dead man was not the one I'd watched dying. You're insane, Hoster sneered. No, I'm just clever. This real corpse with stubby fingers was a genuine Mahatma, and he'd been bumped off quite a while earlier, long enough to stiffen. Therefore, somebody else impersonated him when I first drifted into his parlor. Somebody in an excellent makeup job, including red grease paint on his chest looked like a bullet wound. This impersonator had enacted a role for the sole and exclusive purpose of accusing Lola Dulak of the killing. An accusation which would legally stiff because it came ostensibly from the murdered Mahatma's lips. Poppycock. Same to you, with freckles on it. I tapped him on the chest. Now, this corpse-switching routine had been pulled in my absence, but in Reginald Clancy's presence. Therefore, Clancy was in on the deal up to his tonsils. He was working to coots with the dead Mahatma's impersonator, the man who was trying to frame Lola for the job. I could have pinched Clancy at once, but making him school was something else again, and my time was short, so I left, knowing the cops would hold him. Then I started out to locate Lola, ask her if she knew of any enemies who would want to push her into the gas chamber. Melodrama, Hollister scoffed. Yeah, well, you're the ham with the melodrama, pal. Your voice is theatrical enough to fit that resonant basso profundo routine you gave me when you were pretending to be the dying Mahatma. Moreover, your fingers are long and meaty, as I found out when you tried to throttle me when we were fighting on your patio. Finally, you gave yourself dead away in your conversation. You made some bad slips without even realizing you'd made them. Such as... First, you said, if Lola killed that bearded skunk. Lady, you mentioned her shooting him as he sat at his horoscope table. But I hadn't told you those things, so how could you know unless you'd been there yourself? If you'd been there, you were the man behind the plot. As soon as you got the real corpse in place, you stripped off your makeup and scrammed out to your home in Laurel Canyon. You were waiting for me when I showed up. You'd had plenty of time for the trip, and just now you shot Clancy's who would never be able to confess and implicate you. He'd given his testimony to the dicks, and his usefulness to you was finished. You erased him. The shot you fired at me, though, was just window dressing. An attempt to make things worse for your wife. Actually, anybody who put a bullet through Clancy's cock would be too good a marksman to miss me. Fat lot of proof you've got for all this. You haven't mentioned motive. Why should I frame my own wife? I flipped away my butt. Jealousy, envy, greed, opportunism, those are your motives. I noticed the extension phones in your joint. Bedroom extensions. I think you must have listened in the night Mahatma Guru phoned Lola and put the blackmail bite on her. You realize she had another husband. And marrying you, she committed unwitting bigamy. I imagine that made you sore, being an egotist. Also, you were envious of her screen success because you were only a character ham with a flair for makeup and impersonation, whereas she was a top star. And finally, she held the purse strings, held them tight. Learn up asking you to bribe me, and all you had was a paltry hundred clams to offer. So wide. So you kept yapping about how you were sick by Lola regardless of her guilt. I'm guessing now, but I think you hoped to profit by the publicity you'd get. Actor husband loyal to Murphy Star matter, Murderess. Shucks, some studio might slip you a starring role in the strength of notoriety. But mainly you craved to croak the man who'd been your wife's first hubby, and you wanted your wife to take the rap. Then your vanity would be salved. You'd inherit Lola's estate and perhaps be a famous movie actor. How am I doing? Rotten, you've got no proof. A paraffin test of your mitts will show if you fired a rod recently. A microdermal inspection will indicate if you've been wearing Hindu makeup. Fingerprints will prove you were barging around the Mahatma's house. And that was as far as I got. He jumped back and yelled, You'll never put me in jail! And started running. Holy Brumby raised his thirty-eight, triggered it, and missed. Then Lola Dulac came bl- blipping out from behind some props. 
I heard it all, and I still love you, darling. Oh, oh, Pete, I'll protect you. She tried to reach him, shield him. Romance, it's wonderful. Only instead of shielding him, she accidentally tripped him. He lurched, staggered, and came spang into Brunvig's line of fire. Brunvig's Roscoe yammer, kachee, and the Hollister Hamble bit the dust. Deader than canceled postage. Well, what do you know, Brunvig said. I fogged him, plumbed through the spine. We saved the trouble of trial. Yeah, I growled and went to the weeping Lola. I didn't intend to refund that hundred bucks, but I was ready to give her anything else. Within reason. And that's the end of Mahatma of Mayhem by Robert Leslie Bellum. Thanks for listening today. And just a reminder, if you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This has been a Brick Pickle Media production. We'll be back with a new episode next week.